So we're here with another episode of the Made in New York podcast with real estate broker Danny Nassi. Thanks for joining us. Tell a little bit about yourself. And you're, you're actually the first real estate broker other than myself that's been on this show. So get into your story because I, I, I find it very interesting. Mike, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. And I've been following you online and I just wanted to say, first off, I just want to thank you so much for having me. And number two, I really love the message that you're putting out there. I think you're super real, super authentic. And I think it really just shows that you wear your heart in your sleeve. And I think that just says a lot about you. Um, I've been in the game about 20 years. Okay. Um, I own and operate uh, six multifamily buildings from Soho to Washington Heights. So I have 125 rental units with retail. Uh, on and off, been a broker for 20 years, but that's my main game. I'm a deal junkie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in luxury real estate. In the past, I opened up seven car washes in South Florida. I also used to work with a real estate education company showing people how to buy and sell 25 different strategies of real estate. So that took me to national speaking for like two years across the country mm-hmm. uh, where I built communities of investors. But other than that, I'm just a, you know, a guy, a husband, father of two little girls. And how old are your girls? My girls are nine and 11. Okay. Yeah. From New York. Um, where? Originally Long Island, and then I grew up. I've been in the city basically since I'm 18 years old. Okay, I had five years that I did in Miami. Nice. We won't hold that against you. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about. I mean, that's a lot of different business, yeah. right? And and that's a lot of jumping from the landlord side to the listing, the brokerage side, and other ventures. Tell me how it's all come to be. Tell me a little more of the story. It's honestly, you know, from from a young age, like my dad. You know, I don't knock anyone that's got a nine-to-five job because you have to do what you do to pay your bills. But right. to me, it's always been an acronym for like a job just over broke. Right. So my dad was always just like, listen, uh, whatever you do, don't ever be a nine-to-five man. Mm-hmm. And he said, whatever you do, I want you to be the best at what you do. Mm-hmm. And so I dropped out of college uh, after my second year, and I felt like school was teaching me how to be an employee, not employer. Correct. And then I really thought, you know, it was just going to be easy street. But that's, you know, from age of 19, I was an entrepreneur. I used to, you know, I was working with my family in the beginning. I hated it. Uh, It was ruining my relationship with my family. And I come home one day, and my girl was just like, look, nothing in your life is going to change unless you make a change. Right. And I literally... Uh, quit working with my family the next day, got my real estate license within like 10 days at that time, mm-hmm. joined Best Apartments, Four City Habitats, okay. and I just started renting apartments. I think what happened, the reason why you hear so many things about my story is because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay. I didn't know what my passion was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how I was going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be very hard on myself, and so I just went from thing to thing to thing until... I got to that point where I had that aha moment where I was like, holy shit, I want to do real estate because I want to, I get to, I choose to, and I love to. And so that was what that process was about. So t- tell me about the aha moment. I think the aha moment happened, I want to say, six, seven years ago. Okay. Um, I came back to New York. Like I said, I was in Florida for five years, so I opened up the seven car washes. Um, one of my partners was stealing from me, so I had to sell my partnership out of that. Um, then I was doing the real estate education. I was very successful. Then 2008, 2009 came. I lost all my money because it's the first time I really had money. Mm-hmm. And so it was crazy, dude. I lost my house. I lost my cars. I owed the IRS money, and I never had bad credit. Never owed my credit. So I had no choice. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm coming back to New York because I felt like the money was here. Okay. And I knew eventually I would be back in New York anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I scraped up some money. I got into some deals. I got my real estate license. I got, you know, I co-owned these buildings. And then I opened up a property management company. And then I was brokering the deals within the buildings that I own. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just found myself really depressed, if I'm being honest with you. Mm-hmm. Because 
I had gained over 100 pounds, so I was a fat fuck. Mm -hmm. Every day was bad news. My office was half the size of this, mm -hmm. and I had it with a bookkeeper part-time. So every day somebody was calling me, it was bad news. Property manager is a very thankless job. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends that are property managers, and they'll tell you that it's a thankless mm -hmm. job. Okay? And so it just got to the point where I have two kids, I have a wife, I have a high six-figure income coming in, and we're all comfortable and we're happy. I wasn't. And there were nights that I was literally like crying in bed mm -hmm. where my wife was rubbing my back like a fourth grade schoolgirl, telling mm -hmm. me everything's going to be okay and I just couldn't see the light. Mm -hmm. So eventually I just, you know, I sold out of two positions I was holding and I told myself that even if I don't make money for two years, I'm going to jump into luxury real estate full time and uh, see what happens. And that conversation took almost two years with my wife because of the fear of, you know, the unknown of like what happens if you don't make it. But mm -hmm. I've always felt like I'm going to make it. Right, right, right. So I did it. I jumped in. I ended up at, uh, from Element, I went to Nest Seekers. And within the first four months of being there, you know, I was working on the Fifth Avenue office by myself. Uh, I followed all the systems and tools that they shared with me. And then within four months, not to impress you, but to impress upon you, I did about 200000 in commission. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 And, I, and, and for, for those of you that are not aware, that probably puts you just those four months alone in the top 5% of brokers in the city. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened, that was exciting, and I was like, holy shit, I could do this, right? Yeah. So that was an amazing feeling, and then I, coincidentally, I, I had helped someone get an apartment in a building that I own, and he was on Ryan Serhant's team, which I didn't know at that time. Okay. I usually don't bring this up, but I'm going to mm -hmm. bring it up just to give you the full scope. Yeah. And so he calls me one day, he's like, Ryan Serhant wants to uh, raise some money for a client. And I was like, all right, we'll set up a lunch, I have a money guy. So I end up meeting... Ryan Serhant with my money guy and with my friend who I gave an apartment to that was also a Nessie's broker that was on his team. And so I sit down and I meet Ryan for the first time. He's telling me that was a new development he got on Fifth Avenue. Coincidentally, I sold the building to his developer. He's like, <laughs> how much did you sell it for? I'm like, I had a 30-day exclusive. I sold it for $10,275 in under 30 days. He's like, well, how's my developer supposed to make money? I was like, well, I don't give a fuck. It's on my client. So we started laughing and then he invited me to his office uh, a week later. We talked about splits. It had to be favorable for me, which it was. And I thought it was a good way for me to get educated, learn from somebody who's really doing a lot of deals. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rest is history. I was with him for a few years. I did a lot of volume. I learned a lot. But the ultimate goal was to you know, start the nasty team and do my own thing. So was that the goal going in, like in the back of your head? Like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to learn as much as I can. And I'm going to do this. Or at some point, did you be like, all right, you know what? Listen, I want to see my name up in lights. I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I've always been an entrepreneur, uh -huh. so it's funny you ask that. No one's ever asked me that. Uh, it was two things. Number one, I figured, first of all, it was hard enough for me to like work under someone's umbrella because uh -huh. I'm certifiably unemployable. Yeah. But I figured, you know what, I'm going to treat it like school and get as much experience as I can. Right. Take all the good things that I learned because I wouldn't have done the volume that I did. Mm -hmm. In that amount of time. Right. Because of the volume. That right, 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 right. You accelerated your learning. Exactly. 100%. So I figured I would do that and then go do my own thing. And then also there was a part of me that was like, you know what, I could stay here long term. But my whole thing is it's really important to me if I'm working with you that you're keeping your word, that you're being honest, ethical, legitimate, and that if you say something, you're going to do it. And if there ever comes a time that you don't, and I only give people one chance with that. You have one chance with me. I'm very black and white. If I feel like that that's not happening... I'm out like a thief in the night. Okay. And that's that. So, you decide to start this team. Yeah. Talk to me about the beginning of, of, of 
the nasty team? The beginning was crazy because I didn't even think that I wanted to start a team because I didn't want the responsibility of it. Okay. Like I told you before I built communities of investors. Right. Okay. So when I did that, it started in South Florida hotel room with 30 people. I made that 300 a night in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm. That took me to Utah, it took me to Arizona, it took me to Chicago, it took me to New York, Northern Florida, where I did this all over. And it's very time consuming and you have to legitimately care about people. Mm -hmm. But also people are emotional vampires, right? right? right. So if they're not not 100% in it to win it and Mm -hmm. they're not 100% like, you know, hungry to do it, then they'll suck everything out of you. Right. So that was always a fear of mine having my own team here. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I announced on my Instagram that I left and I started my own thing, Within 24 hours, I got, I want to say, 50 to 80 DMs of people saying, hey, if you start a team, I'd like to join you. And at that point, the light bulb went off. I was like, wait, maybe I should do this. Right. So what happened was I got to cherry pick people that I thought were good people to work with at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up hiring like four or five people right off the bat, right off, right off that gear. And I was using the template that I used for the real estate education mm-hmm. company that I was working with, which was a mistake that I made. Okay, so so talk to me about realizing it was a mistake. Talk to me about the first time you realized you made a bad decision in hiring. Um, I knew almost without without I don't need the person. No, to no, do it. no, no. I'll talk to you about anything. I knew almost immediately within the first two hires. Okay, okay, just based on the attitude, mm-hmm. based on the misrepresentation of what they said that they were doing. Because mm-hmm. my ultimate goal was: look, you need to have two years of New York experience, you need to have done sales, and you need to have a book of business, because I'm here to help you build your business, not mm-hmm. give you business. Right. And that's when resentment settles in, when you're not giving right. them enough. Right. When the whole hopes of them coming was to help them build mm-hmm. and generate their own business. And what I do is I give them favorable splits. Because right. at my company, and I'm very open with this, I get a 70% split. And once I hit a certain amount, it goes up to 75%. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're on my team and you procure the deal, Based on your experience, let's say you have three, four years of experience, I'm going to give you 65 to 70% right, right. my 70, right, right. which is going to incentivize you to go out and do more business for yourself. Right, because right? you're getting paid more than you would have in the industry. Exactly. Right. So I'm hooking you up. Mm-hmm. So if you're not going out and you're not fucking taking advantage of that, I can't fucking help you. Right. You know? Yeah. I will help you if I see you working hard and I'll reward you with business. Right, right. But there's only so much business I can fucking give you. Right. So I knew that within the first two hires. I also knew like one of them just didn't have what it takes. Mm-hmm. The second one talked a big game, said they had a lot of like millions in buyers, which they never had. And then really didn't know how to like juggle multiple things at the same time. And then immediately I was like, fuck. I made a bad call on this one. I made a bad call on that one. Ultimately, I hired seven people. Mm-hmm. I'm down to three now. Okay. And those and the three of us together do more volume than when I had seven. Okay. So, I've had I've had the same thing. The ups and downs of, of agents from two to eleven to six to eight to right. you know it's just the process of the game. Are you at a point now where like you're not ready to hire more, or if like the right person came along, you would hire them? Like, I'm at the point now of doing it the right way, okay. which is I'm only going to hire as I need it. Okay. Okay? Because right now, I have people every single day, and I'm not saying it's to my own horn, yeah, I'm not yeah. that guy. Yeah. I have people reaching out to me every fucking day asking for a job. Every day. Right. Every fucking day. Through DM. Through DM. Yeah. It's every insane. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Oh, no, no. I, I, I get the same DMs. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, just, I just hired, I so just hired you know. a dude that, that followed me on Instagram for a year. And was like, I'm, I'm finally ready to make this jump. You know, can we talk? And I was like, sure. And that's amazing, you know. Yeah. I really don't spend most, a lot of my business doing rentals. Mm-hmm. I do some, mm-hmm. depending on what the situation is. 
Uh, but I really try to focus on just sales, and I really try to get my kids, my people that are with me, focused on the same. So a lot of a lot of brokers that are in the business, you know, they they start on the rental side, mm-hmm. right? Just to, just as you have. How did you transition that to the sales side of the business? I think what happened was is like when you're in the rental business and you're doing rentals, what happens is you start attracting more and more rentals. Right. And I think the first thing that happens is it starts with a decision. You have to make a decision, number one. Okay, I just want to focus on sales. And then when that happens, is like, what the fuck do I do now? How do I get myself into sales? Mm-hmm. And that's like how you have to get creative. And um, I can go into like... Yeah, yeah, talk, talk a little about that. Talk about how you went... So let's talk about some agents right now. Yeah, yeah. really important, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so how did I knock out my first deal mm-hmm. seven, eight years ago when I came in? I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this full time. Okay. What I did was, the first thing I did was I got with a mortgage broker that I trusted. And I said to my mortgage broker, I said, listen, I want you to make me a rent versus buy one cheater. Mm-hmm. Meaning, whatever my people are renting right now between two and $7,000 a month, I want to know you know, what they can own for that amount of money. Right. Right? I had 125 units, and I had everyone's contact information. Right, right, right. So he put up a one cheater for me, and I took 125 letters, and I mailed it out to all my tenants, tenants that I have in my building. Two popped out. The first one that popped out was a doctor. I'll never forget her. And she did it. I co-broked her into one of my buildings. So her broker actually didn't follow up with her. Surprising. So she got my letter exactly right. <laughs> she got my letter. She's like, hey, Danny, I'm ready to buy. And it was a very competitive time. And I sat down with her. I said, look, I want you to understand when you negotiate supported care, but not that much. And I want to take leverage away from the sellers. From the sellers. And I think it's important that we make multiple offers so that way we can let each seller know we have multiple offers. That way we can see what we can get the most reasonable deal for so she said, okay. She's the easiest deal I ever had, too, because usually your first right. deal is the hardest. Yeah, yeah. I showed her three properties. We made three offers. I closed my first deal at a million two fifty. So that was Congrats. great money. Yeah. The second deal popped out similar in the same way, and then the third deal came out from a fraternity brother in college. Um, and then the ball just started rolling. But I think what happens is you start working with buyers, and then years later, those buyers become sellers. Right. Further, like another way to generate business, and I say this all the time, Mike, mm-hmm. is you always have to be in front of people. Breakfast, well, coffee, breakfast, coffee, lunch, coffee, dinner, cocktails, after hours. I make sure that I'm in front of people all the time. And once they ask me how I'm doing, they're asking me what I'm doing with my life, I ask for help. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? I say this over and over every single fucking day. And my biggest lead generator is once I close business, I meet with the seller. I say, can you meet me Tuesday, Thursday at 1 o'clock? So they can't say no, not that they would. Mm-hmm. And then once I meet with them, I say, hey, how would you like my service? They're like, I loved it. And then I say, hey, if there's five, do you have five friends that can uh, that may want to use my services? And they'll be like, Danny, sure, I'd love to help you, but I don't have five friends that need your services. And then I say, well, if you have five friends that did, who would they be? And then I shut the fuck up. They come up with a list. I ask them to call those people. Tell them their experience with me. Facts tell, stories sell. So by the time I call them up, it's not really like I'm trying to win over their business. It's more like, how can I help you? Does that make sense? Yeah. So talk to me about that part. Like, where did that come from? Um, where did I learn to do that? Yeah. I had a mentor in a direct sales company I used to work with many years ago. Okay. That was a fucking beast. One of the best speakers I've ever seen on platform and one of the best salespeople that I've ever witnessed selling just in general mm-hmm. and this is one of the things he did and he taught me that you ask good questions thank you thank you seriously you ask good questions <laughs> thank you so I want to rewind a little because you've talked now and you've mentioned these properties that you own yeah. a couple of times 
how, how did you get, and, and I know you said you had a little money and then you put it in and obviously it seemed like from your timeline it was at the bottom of the market, so that always helps. But like, talk to me about that. Talk to me about how, how getting into the ownership side started and then I'm really curious as to why you didn't just accelerate that and not do brokerage. People ask me that all the time. I'm going to answer that part first. You know, for me, my life, I don't care to be a multi, multi-millionaire. Okay. Okay. And I grew up around a lot of those type of people. What mattered to me most is that I wake up and I feel good. Okay. And I look in the mirror and I'm proud of what I see. I grew up in a family that was pretty successful and I learned from an early age that success, that money, it's not going to make you happy. It's not going to change the quality of your life the way a lot of people think it is. Right. I think my wealth, I got very, very lucky in terms of I met the love of my life very early in my life. Okay. And I have two beautiful babies. So for me, my number one thing that was important to me was to be a husband that cared, that was affectionate, mm-hmm. and a father that was involved. Mm-hmm. Everything that came over that for me was like icing on the cake. Okay. Okay. It's a good way to look at it. So when people ask me all the time, like, why are you a broker and yeah. own real estate? Number one, it's like, why the fuck do you care? Because it's none of your fucking business. <laughs> Number two, it's because I want to, right. I get to, I choose to, I love to. I love doing deals. I love helping sellers. I love helping buyers. I love the responsibility of it. I love the art of negotiating. I think I bring a lot to the table that other brokers don't bring, which is that I am a property investor. I do own property. Uh, I am a fucking broker. I do care to see you do well. I'm not operating from a valley. I'm operating from a peak. So you know that, you know, when I genuinely tell you something or give you advice on how to do something that's mm-hmm. coming from my heart, I'm treating it like my own deal, mm-hmm. not because I'm starving or thirsty for money. Right. And I think that makes it very different for me. So going back to the first question, talk to me about getting into the first deal. Well, getting into the first deal, like I've always had brokers, commercial broker relationships that I've had. So at that time, faxing was bigger than emailing, yeah, to yeah. be honest with you. I probably yeah. sound like a dinosaur. No, no, no. Craigslist um, was big too. Yeah. So I would get a lot of faxes. Dude, I can tell you about Craigslist. <laughs> I'll tell you about that later. But, you know, I'd get a lot of faxes of deals that would come across my table. And if I saw something that made sense and something that I thought was valuable and I had a little bit of money and I knew some family that had some money and there was value there, anyone who's smart, that's intelligent, that you know wants to get into deals and wants to see a good cap rate on their money, mm-hmm. it's going to fucking work with you. Right. And for those people who don't have money that think they need money to get into the game, mm-hmm. it's very simple to find those deals, okay? Take them to people who do have money and say, look, I don't want any money. I want equity in the deal. You do two or three of those, sell your equity, get your money, then you can start doing it on your own. There's always a way to do something, mm-hmm. you know, if you're hungry enough. Definitely. And, and I think your, your, your sweat equity side of things is something people don't often do. Yeah. Um, but if you talk to developers, like a lot of the ones talk about that's how they started. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's always interesting to me when you hear the same thing over and over, just in different tones. Yeah. So, do you still look at deals? Like, is that, like, are you, are you like, good with, like, that side of your life? Like, or, like, or is that still intrigue you, like, I'll still buy it if honestly, numbers, right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm still good mm-hmm. on that. I feel good on that part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, do I still look at deals? Yeah, I always keep my options open because I'd be stupid if I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and number three, I haven't bought anything, anything really since, like, 2011. Okay. Um, so you're waiting for the next downturn? Yeah. I mean, I'm always waiting for a downturn. I just yeah. feel like right now there aren't the kind of deals that there were in 
2011. No, you know? not at all. Not even close. When I started going into Washington Heights and I started going into West Harlem and Central Harlem, a lot of people looked at me like, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> but you know what? At that time, there were 12 caps. Right. Okay? Right. Now, those are like 15, 16 caps. Right. So who was fucking crazy? Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Do you Did you feel comfortable, like having been a New Yorker, did you feel comfortable going into some of these neighborhoods that other people wouldn't have? Yeah, I mean, New York... Because I find it... I'm sorry to interject. No, I, find it, I, I find it interesting that if I look at, like, my developers that I represent, the ones that are New Yorkers tend to be a little more risk-adverse than those that are not. You know, I listened to my dad's advice on this, and, um, you know, he's been in the real estate game 50 years. Most people don't know that. Uh, and he sat me down a while back, and he said to me, Danny, he goes, my generation was 96th Street and South. Mm-hmm. He said, your generation is going to be 96 and north because there's only one way to go. And that's right. It. So, well, there's another way to go. It's yeah, east. Yeah, it's east also. <laughs> but I took that advice. Right, right, right. You know, when you told me that. You know how you said earlier, before we went on camera, you said, you know, you used to hand out flyers for your dad. Yeah. You know, you listened to him. Yeah, you yeah. Him. You yeah, yeah. What I was talking about. Yeah. He probably took you everywhere, right? Pretty much. When it came to that? Yeah. Okay, my father, he took me everywhere, too. Yeah, yeah. So there, I never had that feeling of uncomfortable. You know, being uncomfortable, like, going to Harlem or going to, you know, West Harlem, Central Harlem, going up to Washington Heights. Yeah. I never felt uncomfortable about that. You know, New York is New York. Right. And I love this place because it's open to everyone. Right. And New York, New York, when, when we were younger, was a lot different place than it is today. It was a lot cooler. So. For me. I, that's it, what I it, it had a lot more grit. Yeah. It was um, less safe. <laughs> That's um, what was fun about it. No, I'm I, I mean, to an extent, listen, I remember Times Square when it was pimps and prostitutes. I remember that too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's definitely like that was a good change. Yeah. Like you would have you would have never hung out on Kent. Yeah. Fifteen years ago. Yeah. You know, like like what is it? Um, I'm trying to remember the name. Douglaston, the group that built the Edge, mm-hmm. was having trouble selling it. $600 a foot when it first hit the market. Yeah. And now they're trading it 15, 16, Isn't that 17. Crazy? I mean, I don't think it's crazy. Yeah. I think New York is underpopulated. Mm-hmm. I think New York is going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. I think we'll have drops. But I think in the big picture, like, people don't take into context that this is the biggest country and the biggest city in the country and arguably the financial capital of the world. Mm-hmm. So I think as that stays in place, short of major environmental event or terrorist event, yeah. we're only going to continue to see the market increase. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see more neighborhoods that you would have never thought of 15 years ago become popping. Yeah. So most of your businesses on this island in Manhattan. Yeah. Have you looked at venturing out past that as to like the, the advice your father gave you about going north? And obviously now look, we're seeing new development in Inwood. Yeah. So like have you, and, and maybe, maybe this isn't today, maybe this is like in the back of your mind five years from now, but have you thought of like pushing further into Queens and Brooklyn which is seeing very similar things to what you probably yeah, saw of course. a decade ago in, in Washington Heights. Yeah, of course. I mean, again, I would not close my options to that. Mm-hmm. I think, again, you know, this this comes down to each individual, okay? Mm-hmm. For me, it's very important that, uh, that I'm with my family. Okay. And that I'm present. Mm-hmm. And that I'm alive. And that they know that I care. And that I'm listening. And that I'm hearing them, okay? When I was working in my property management company, just to yeah. give you some perspective... I had more time for my family. I had guaranteed income. And I was never present because I was so unhappy. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I have less time. My money is unpredictable if I'm not 
filling up my pipeline. Right. And I'm very present for my family. Mm -hmm. This is my number one priority in my life. My wealth, my health mm -hmm. is my family. So talk to me about being um, a parent as a, as a real estate broker. Because there, there's a lot that goes into, one, being a parent, right? And mm -hmm. then there's a lot that goes into running a team and running a business. And a lot of the times those two things don't overlap. Mm -hmm. Because you have, there's only one of you. And even if you have agents, there's still only one of you. Mm -hmm. And you can only be in so many places at the same time. Tell me how you juggle that and how you prioritize the decisions around your family versus business. Um, first of all, my family, yeah. again, priority. Mm -hmm. uh, and my business, big priority. My clients know that I'm available 24-7 unless it has to do with my family. So if it comes a time where it's between going to see my little girl play ice hockey or going to a play at her school or being at a publishing party, for one of my daughters, and there's something that's going on with one of my clients, they're gonna have to fucking wait. That's it. Because you wanna know what the truth is, if something was happening with their kids, and I had something that was pending deal-wise for them, you'd have to wait. I'd have to wait. Yeah. So, I learned a long time ago, I treat people in business the way they treat me. And that's it, it's very simple. I've always mirrored people, and I think that's a good way to negotiate also. If you have somebody who's aggressive, you gotta be aggressive. If you're somebody who's low-key, you got to lower your voice. you got to be low-key. If you're somebody who's outrageous and likes to laugh, you got to be outrageous. you got to laugh with them, too. So that's something that I learned a long time ago. My family always comes first. There's nothing in the world that can ever get in the way of that. So, so talk to me about finding that happiness. You were talking about how you weren't happy in uh, property management. Yeah, I think, I think I wasn't happy for a long time long before that. I think, you know, when you're a kid and you're growing up, you know, you just, you have this, like, belief that everything's just going to fall into place, everything's going to be okay, and then you go through these obstacles in life where you just don't know, you know, if things are going to be okay, if things are going to be good, and I think what happened was, and it's the people that love you the most, I was going from thing to thing to thing, just trying to figure out what my purpose was, trying to figure out who I was, what I wanted to be, how I wanted to make a living, and what happened very frequently, I realized that this isn't what I want, mm -hmm. this isn't what I want, this isn't what I want. And then my family and friends are like, yo, you gotta stop quitting and you just gotta stick with something. But it wasn't that I was quitting, it was that I just knew that I wasn't passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm a passionate person. Mm -hmm. So I started with renting apartments, then doing commercial leasing, then selling commercial buildings, then moving to Florida and doing, uh, and brokering and doing short sales, and then opening up seven car washes, and then, you know, doing the real estate education program, then losing everything, and then coming back to New York, and then getting my real estate license, and then getting to property management. It really took me of being really miserable, um, not being good to myself, my self-talk, what I was saying to myself, to realize what I wanted to do, which eventually I woke up with that. I was like, wow, I really want to be a luxury real estate broker. It was really hard for me to break in. I broke in, and it, just, it was just game-changing. It was life-changing for me because I could do what I wanted to do, I loved what I was doing, and I could really make an impact on not only the clients that I serve, but the other people that work around me, that you know, that care about me, that support me. It's just a beautiful experience for me all around. So, talk to me about, and, and I know there's no normal days, especially in this business. Yeah. But talk to me about what a typical day looks like. I mean, I don't like routine, and mm -hmm. I say this all the time. I'm not big on routine. Mm -hmm. As soon as my life feels routine, I have big problems with that. Okay. Um, so there are two things that are routine. Number one is I always run. I run every morning. And number two is I read a lot. You know how I was telling you earlier, you know, the self-talk wasn't good? Yeah, yeah. Like, 
I want to say about 10 years ago, I really just like, started reading a lot of self-development books. Okay. You know, to create positive habits. Um, you know, change the way I saw things, my perspective, just to like always end my thoughts with positive feelings mm-hmm. rather than negative ones. Um, was so, there anything that really like hit home that like you, you look back and like, yo, or like an author that was like, this dude yeah, check, really changed yeah, my life? and I give this book out to everyone. For me, it was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that book 13 times, and it feels like every time I read it, there was words that were like slid in that I didn't see the first time around. Okay. Um, anything Wayne Dyer, anything John Maxwell, um, anything uh, Napoleon Hill, Greatest Salesman in the World by Augmentino, like all these light, all these books were game changers for me mentally and emotionally. So okay. I do a lot of self development, and I read a lot, and I listen to you know podcasts and you know people that I think. Um, that are honest and authentic and real. So it's hard for me to like believe somebody's real. And once I do, I like to stick with them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally grab that. So you're talking about podcasts, and that's ultimately how you and I connected. We were both featured in a New York Times article, or no, real deal, real deal. Yeah, sorry, there was a New York Times totally article. Totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 um, it's crazy. Just how to me, it's how small the world has become because of technology. Yeah, like it's now literally you can reach out and hit anybody. Yeah. Where before it was like, well, does somebody know this person? That like, now it's just like send a DM, like, hey. Yeah. Um, talk to me about getting into the tech side of the business because, as you know, and, and and hopefully maybe some of our viewers do, a lot of our competitors aren't 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 active on Instagram, don't have a pot, like do very little on the social side of the world. Yeah. So, Talk to me about getting into that and, and what you've seen from it for your business. Number one, I think if you're not getting into it, you're making a huge mistake and you're gonna be you're gonna be left behind. There's mm-hmm. not a question of can you be left behind? You will be left behind. Um, I'm not a huge fan of social media. Mm-hmm. Why? But because I've always generally been a private person. Okay. And to be in this business and to be authentic yeah. and for people to feel you and want to follow you, you yeah. gotta be hundred percent real, mm-hmm. you gotta be hundred percent open. And you have to give people not just a peek in your life, but really behind the scenes of what your life really is. So uh-huh. that's a lot to put out there. Right. So, and I also have kids, so there's a lot of fucking weirdos. Yeah. Um, and I was on TV a few times, and so when that happened, I got a, a bit of a following. Like I have, I don't know, I have just over like six thousand people, but I've had like five thousand consistently since I was on a show, and, um, and so I've got a lot of weird things from that. But I also wanted to take advantage of the fact that I can really help those people in some shape, way, or form by inspiring them, motivating them, or helping them change the quality of their life. I'm not trying to be a Gary Vee. I'm definitely not an inspirational speaker. I don't give a fuck to be that guy. Mm-hmm. But I would like to be the guy who's sharing content with them that's helping them if they're interested in real estate or you know how I carry myself personally in my life to like you know give them tips and tools um, in that way. Uh, but social media, I just got in. I just, I just, I realized that if I didn't do it, I was going to get left behind. Mm-hmm. Started with Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, and um, you know, and, and that led me to doing a podcast, and that led me to. I just started my own show uh, called Nancy's Neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I just dropped the first episode of that, and um, so, so talk to me about that. We we actually watched it a little bit earlier, and, and I thought it was really good. Um, talk to me about the decision to start a show, and like. What went into that, and what the plan is for that? 
I think the plan is to just let people see New York from my perspective. I've been living here for over 20 years. There's a way that I see New York, and I want to share my perspective. Like, here's the cool thing about what we do. You know, we get to meet the coolest people every single day. Right? True. And so what happens is, is each one of those people that live in New York have their own perspective of New York. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you're living in New York through the way that they see it. So everyone has their own version of it, right? right, right, right. All I'm saying is, come check out my show because I want to show you the version of New York that I see. I want to show you actual deals. And I also want to give you content that these other motherfuckers that are actually out here, mm -hmm. that are all fucking playing themselves off, yeah. don't know shit, and aren't really <laughs> giving you anything that's of value other than trying to monetize off of you. I'm not trying to make money off of you. Yeah, I'm not trying to sell you. Yeah. I'm not trying to market you. I'm just trying to show you my creative side and what I love about New York. And hey, if you ever want to you know, purchase or sell in New York, maybe I'm the guy for you. And if not, that's okay too. I can be a resource for you. That's all I'm saying. So you've been here 20 years. Um, do you see yourself dying here? 100%. I really? Do. I do, yeah. I'm a born and bred New Yorker. Um, I could see myself, you know, getting a second home, maybe mm -hmm. in another state or in another country. Uh, but my foundation, my love, my life is New York. It'll always be. That's very, you know, it's funny, like, that's a question I ask a lot of people. And, and I would say 90, maybe 95% of people say, yes, I'm gonna, I see myself dying here. Yep. And as I get older, I'm on the fence. Because I like the woods as much as I like the, the, the city. So it's like, it, I, it's a mix. And, and maybe that becomes like spending half of the time upstate and half of the time here. Who, who knows? But um, there's there's something to the city. It's like a drug that, that pushes you. Because there's always somebody doing better. That, that To me, that's, that's the beauty. And like that's what really gets growth out of people. It's like, at least those that are winning. Like, that they'll, you know, it's... I don't know how to put it, and we may have to cut some of this because I'm rambling. No, you're but not. <laughs> I, think, I think what you're trying to say, I think this is what you're trying to say, it's, very, it's stimulating. It is. It is. Um, but I find it very interesting that, that most successful people strive, like, live on that energy. Yeah. Like, the, the essence of just doing the deal. It's like, it's not about the check you're going to get yeah. from the deal. It's the high you get from the negotiating and getting your client whatever you're able to get them. And that's what it is. You know, I have people that contact me and they're like, hey, you know, I was going to call you, but, you know, I have a million five deal for you. I didn't know if that was big enough. I'm like, dude, I don't give a shit if it's 200000 or if it's $20 million. The deal's a deal. I get just as excited no matter what the deal yeah, is. No, no. And yeah, you're 100% right. It's almost like euphoric when you really negotiate the shit out of a deal for your client and they fucking love you for it yeah. and you win them over. But then you also have those times where... You know, everything that can possibly go wrong with a client does, and you care, and you don't want those things to happen, but you also don't have control. So mm -hmm. that part of the business is hard, too, which I've learned over the years, is that when you get into a situation that you don't want to go bad, that goes bad, mm -hmm. it happens to everyone. Right. Is to be able to let it go. Right. Because not everyone's going to be happy. Right. Not everyone's going to think you're the best broker. Right. And that takes time. Job. Yeah. That it takes, takes time. time to lose a two, three, four million dollars. Yeah. Like, yeah. It happens, you yeah. know. But you gotta be able to walk away from it, take it on the chin, say ouch, and move on, and not think about it again. So all these businesses you started, you gotta have something like in the back of your head that's like a five, maybe ten year out plan of something crazy you've always kind of wanted to do. I swear to God, man, people say this to me all the time. Yeah, and they say it's important. Plan. I mean, I write out my goals every year. Yeah, yeah. That's for like a five or ten year plan. If I'm being 100% You have no bigger. 
I have no bigger plan. You're just living in the moment. I live in the moment. That's dope. I'm fucking blessed. I have a wife. I have two kids. One of my best, my best friend in the world. His name's Tatter right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. He died on 9-11. And I was here. Okay. He's in the first tower that went down. I live my life to the fucking fullest every day. Every day I wake up and I mm-hmm. thank God, the universe, whatever you believe in. I thank and I say thank you that I'm here. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. I want to. I get to. I choose to. I love to. And I pop out of bed, and that's it. That's how I start my day. You know, we talked earlier about yeah. you can teach all the systems and tools how to be successful. Yeah. You can't teach someone how to be hungry. Yeah. I know why I'm hungry because I know what my why is. When you know yeah. why you want to be successful, the how always takes care of itself. So what I'm saying is if money isn't an issue and you don't know what your purpose is out there, whoever's out there, if you don't know what your purpose is, which is something I wish somebody told me this years ago and I figured it out, if you don't know what your purpose is, ask yourself one question. If money wasn't an issue, what would I do with my time? It took me years to answer that question. Mm-hmm. It might take you an hour. Yeah. If you answer that question, you know what your fucking purpose is yeah. and you're going to have a happy life because yeah. that's what you should be doing. Yeah. I, I'm with you 100%. Um, Anything you want to share before we wrap? No, um, I just again like. So I'm, you got this new show on IGTV. Yeah, I don't want to do that unless you're. No, 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 one hundred percent. You can one hundred percent plug. I'm here, I'm here for Dylan, you. Yeah. Dylan will put like a little bubble or something here with a picture of you uh, in the East Village. Um, is, is the goal to like hit every neighborhood? Yeah, I mean the goal is we're going to go neighborhood to neighborhood. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know when you're dropping this, um, but I we just shot episode two. That's going to be Fight Eye. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to go neighborhood to neighborhood once a month. I'm going to drop an episode. It's tough between I, I pub, I'm doing some public speaking. I'm doing the podcast. I'm doing the you know the mm-hmm. uh, episodes now. The show. I drop uh, I drop tips every day. Mm-hmm. On, all my social media outlets, real estate tips. So do you have a full-time videographer on your no, team? No, I do everything by myself on my iPhone. Okay. So, but the videographer I do for the show, yes. Okay. For that, yes. Everything else is off my iPhone. Okay. So, 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 love love the iPhone part of it. Like the first 300 videos I put out were all iPhone and me teaching myself how to video edit. Yeah. Um, so having spent the time on TV, right, and now putting out your own show, do you see this turning into something else? I mean, it's not my goal. Like, when I was on the show in the past, um, I got approached by a few different networks, and they wanted me to do a show, but they wanted to base it around things that were not me. Mm-hmm. So I basically told them to fuck off. Right. And I was kind of just laying off of TV for a while, and this isn't, like, the goal for me isn't to get on TV. The goal for me is, again, to just showcase what I feel about New York, mm-hmm. um, show my creative side, um, show people my perspective and let them see New York the way I see it and love it the way I love it. And if that turns into something great, if it doesn't, that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is just for you to take a little walk with me through New York and take a peek at New York through my vision. I swear to God, dude, that's the truth. Okay? I don't give a shit about, I don't need the validation. I don't need the fucking money. I don't need the fucking TV. I don't give a shit. I just want to be out there as someone who's positive in someone's life. That's it. Well, listen, I think that's an amazing way to end this. I appreciate you taking the time to come here and chat. And I look forward to being a guest on yours. Yeah, very soon. I'm going to see you on Friday. So you can find me on Instagram at DNassi. You can go to my website, dannynassi.com. All my social media handles are there. Perfect. You can see Nassi's Neighborhood on IGTV. And you can find Danny Nassi Podcast on Spotify or on iTunes. But if you really want to contact me directly, Instagram. That's how we connect. Thanks for your attention. See you guys soon.